Tonight, we are going to witness the most anticipated match in the history of professional film. For the dozen in attendance, and for the handful listening around the world, it's time for Remake Rumble! Hello and welcome to Remake Rumble, the podcast that pits a classic film against its remake, the old guard against the new, in a dazzling display of motion picture pugilism. Two films enter, one film leaves. My name is Johnny Lee, and I'm joined by my co-hosts, David, Clever Girl Ratigan. Hello, David. Hello, John. And Daniel, the human piece of toast Gilmore. Hello, Daniel. Hello, John. This episode, we've spared no expense as 1993's dino disaster flick Jurassic Park sinks its teeth into 2015's Jurassic World. As ever, we'll put both movies under the microscope and decide which should go extinct as well as test Daniel and David's Jurassic smarts in a quiz 65 million years in the making. So, who will be left a Tyrannosaurus wreck in this cold-blooded Saurian skirmish? Hold on to your butts as we enter the Remake Rumble ring. Oh, and spoilers? Spoilers! We've got spoilers here! Roaring onto the scene in 1993, Jurassic Park is a pulse-pounding science fiction adventure directed by the granddaddy of blockbuster filmmaking, Steven Spielberg following a bunch of boffins as they endeavor to escape a futuristic theme park populated by dinosaurs, this Mesozoic marvel is rightly regarded as a juggernaut in cinema history, not only celebrated as the highest-grossing film of all time when it was released, but lauded as a touchstone moment in computer graphics and starting point for one of the most profitable movie series in history. And mined from this mega-franchise like prehistoric DNA from a hunk of amber is our challenger today, 2015's Jurassic World. Directed by Colin Trevorrow, this soft reboot of the Jurassic Park saga picks up 22 years after the events of the original movie and sees the dino theme park finally reopen its gates with predictably deadly results, wildly surpassing the gross of its predecessors and for a time the third highest grossing movie ever. Jurassic World is a worthy foe, here to show the average Joe it's got to get up and go. And so, let's find out who will be crowned king of the Jurassic Jungle in the motion picture punch-out that is Remake Rumble. Dinosaurs are de-extinct once again in popular culture. We have a new animated series, Jurassic World Camp Cretaceous on Netflix. We've also got the third film in the Jurassic World series, Jurassic World Dominion, now in production. And it does feel especially appropriate to cover Jurassic Park at the moment, given it's about corporate executives putting business interests before human life. Yeah, it's funny to me that of all the Hollywood productions getting back underway amidst this pandemic, it's Jurassic World 3 that's taking the charge because it basically implies that they haven't watched their own movies. Yeah. (laughs) But, you know, before the pandemic, I think a lot of people would have said no way in Jurassic World would they have reopened the place this kind of deadly, deadly place that's killed however many people. But I think it turns out, actually, maybe they would. So I feel maybe we owe Colin Trevorrow a a bit of an apology for that. I will never apologize to Colin Trevorrow for the things I've said about him. He Uh, should probably apologize for the Book of Henry first as well. (laughs) Oh, God, was that him? That was him. Oh, God. (laughs) And in fact, I think because of that, they didn't let him do the new Star Wars, although... J.J. Abrams didn't exactly do a very good job there. You shouldn't be allowed out of polite society, never mind that. (laughs) Okay, so Jurassic World is uh, some kind of soft reboot, would you say? Um, Came out in 2015, which seemed to be the peak year for these sorts of soft reboots with 
both uh, Star Wars The Force Awakens and Creed coming out. Oh, yeah. Forgot about That's that. right. Yeah. For the Rocky one. That's right. Yeah. And actually probably the best of all three of those films. So, yeah, let's bring it back to the original film for a moment, Jurassic Park. Daniel, I know you haven't seen many films outside the Fast and Furious franchise, but <laughs> you've presumably seen Jurassic Park before. I mean, in a sense, it's very similar. I mean, this is all about family. It's all about togetherness. It's all about finding your way through, let's be honest, a pretty difficult time. Um, I mean, I got a bit confused at first. I thought you were talking about like the Dinosaurs TV show. Um, turns out the puppetry is pretty similar, so it wasn't too far off. But I mean, Jurassic Park is obviously a classic. I'm not going to bore anyone by talking about why Jurassic Park matters. We all know why. Um, but it really well, is thank shocking. thank you for listening to Remake Rumble. Yeah, exactly. That's, yeah. that's it. Thank you very much. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's all good. Uh, nothing to say. Um, it's a really inspiring piece of filmmaking to be able to evoke this feeling of being in this theme park full of primeval terrors. And God, I will never stop loving Laura Dern. I know I sound like David Lynch and this whole like little cow stunt, but I will never stop loving her. She's amazing. Yeah, I think it's um, it really was lightning in a bottle in many ways. I think, as you say, it's just a fantastic premise. Um, it's got fantastic source material. It's also just a really simple but effective script. Um, mm-hmm. It's Spielberg at its peak. Um, you've got the world's you know top practical and digital effects artists and fantastic actors in their prime. And I think just all of that just came together and produce something era-defining. Definitely. I agree. Yeah, I agree. Can I just say, secretly, I think that the real villain of this whole film was Hammond. Mm-hmm. I don't think I, I don't know if there's any dispute about that, but let's be honest. If I he would had, dispute that, actually, but I'll, I'll let you have your... If he paid Hedry enough, if he paid Nedry enough, the whole film doesn't happen. If he just paid him enough, <laughs> whole film is completely solved. I if got the sense, though, that he was being greedy. Oh, yeah, 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 definitely, definitely. He's, he's, a, he's a great little shit. But at the same time, if he just paid him a bit more of his dues, plus, let's be honest, I don't think a lot of this, a lot of Jurassic Park isn't actually about advancing science. It's about ego. All of this is about Hammond trying to be this, I don't want to say immortal, but kind of like getting his name put on something. Like, if you kind of listen to him talk mm-hmm. about his flea circus and all this kind of stuff, he doesn't care about science, really. He's, he's an entertainer. He's yeah. just trying to get his name up in light. And if it hadn't been a theme park, then maybe there wouldn't have been so many deaths that happen. <laughs> I think that even if he's not a villain per se, the film definitely errs on the side of him being in the wrong. And there is that fantastic bit of dialogue. I think it's in the famous lunch scene. And by the way, that is a really great scene where you have sort of four minutes of entertaining, well-shot dialogue where Hammond, Malcolm and the lawyer exchange these different views on Jurassic Park and the technology and its ethics. And it's just a fantastic scene, and it's not the sort of scene that you get in Jurassic World, which we can get onto. But it's, a, it's fantastically managed to make this four-minute dialogue scene really entertaining, and that they were willing to... You know, it, it's not, like, really high-concept philosophical stuff, but, like, it still it all kind of makes sense. These characters do represent genuine, like, differences of opinion. But anyway, there's this fantastic bit of dialogue where Malcolm says something to Hammond to the effect of, you are standing on the shoulders of giants, you didn't create this technology... You've taken it, and because you weren't, because the technology isn't yours, you didn't put all the all the labor into it. You don't respect it. What did he do? I, he, <laughs> what did he do? He funded it, and and yeah. he found a way to make the technology commercially viable. And I think that's, I mean, that's the premise. I think of Michael Crichton's original book. He was thinking this is really cool technology. You know, possible future technology might be able to clone extinct animals, but it looks super expensive. How could you fund this? Well, you could make it commercially viable by embedding it in entertainment, by making a theme park out of it. 
You know, I don't know if it's just because I'm a big uh, Walt Disney apologist, but I think there's more there's more to him than I think you're both giving him. To Hammond? I think so. Okay. I think he's more of a sympathetic character than you both are suggesting. I, I'm not saying I don't have sympathies for him. I get where he's coming from. And I don't think what he's doing is necessarily, like, explicitly evil. Well, let me say, I think, yeah. obviously, as the film suggests, I do think he is in the wrong. Mm. But I don't think the film is painting him as a total baddie. You know, he does come to the realisation himself that Jurassic Park won't work. And you can really see it in um Richard Attenborough's performance mm. that he's regretful and sorry for ever, you know, building the place. But I think the character is coming from this real genuine place of wanting people to experience the awe and the majesty of the dinosaurs. You know, he's not out for a quick book. And I think the film shares in that because, you know, for the first half, really, Jurassic Park is presented with this childlike reverence and you know there's a tinge of sadness at the end when it's apparent the theme park will never open yeah i would agree with that idea of the film kind of coming in two halves so the first half you really have this you know the majesty and the wonder of the dinosaurs and that's primarily told through the the big herbivore dinosaurs that you see and then the second half it's all about the carnivores and they kind of represent the yeah the horror of it all um, and I think Spielberg has said in interviews that it's not a horror movie. It's not a monster movie. Dinosaurs are not supposed to be seen that way. And I think it's true that at it its heart, it's a kind of, you know, science fiction adventure film for the family. But whether consciously or not, I think it does use a lot of interesting horror techniques really well. And it's one of the reasons I think I really like the second half of the film. So, you know, everything from the high contrast lighting to the, the silhouetting of the mm-hmm. dinosaurs, the use of claustrophobic space... Then there's the more abstract stuff, like the metaphorical use of the characters moving downwards, of descent into darkness to represent danger, and then ascension into light to represent hope and mm-hmm. safety. Like in the beginning end with the helicopter arriving and leaving, or Laura Dern going into the dark basement with the Velociraptors. So yeah, I think it uses those horror elements really effectively, and I don't think that's something that you get with Jurassic World or really any of the sequels. Well, it's horror in the sense that it's nature, isn't it? If you look at this film in kind of comparison to something like Raw, like for people that don't know, like Raw is that film that was shot with live big cats, like tigers and lions. There was maimings and things on the set. If you look at it in in that sense, like it is just a film, like I said, not about monsters, but about animals. They're not there to be evil or kill for sport. They're there to survive. And I think that's what Spielberg's trying to get at, is the fact that these dinosaurs aren't like some malevolent force. They're just creatures that are trying to make it through. And of course they're going to lash out. It's what happens in Jurassic World as well, but they'd handle that a lot differently. Um, yeah. Although in, Jurassic, that's, sorry. in Jurassic World, you also have the original T-Rex and the Velociraptors almost acting like heroes in the story. I can't, I can't get into that right now. That we'll, we'll talk about <laughs> it. We'll talk about it. But if you look at them as, as like animals with those kinds of characteristics, the whole film makes a lot more sense. And that's why I kind of talk about Ammon as a, as a villain. Not because he was like explicitly evil, but it's kind of like a circus master, isn't it? You know, you've got these people that are willing to take nature and try and control it and use it not for really scientific gain, but for entertainment and for, yeah, in a sense, kind of showing people majesty. But I think that's kind of like a secondary goal. He's not there to show people like the wonder of nature. It's just like exposing them to the barbarity of real life with it within like a safe confine. Mm-hmm. Of course, you can't do that because life always finds a way. But I think that's really what he was trying to do. And it was pure hubris. You can't do that. And coming back to the craft of Steven Spielberg and the rest of the team, um, I've noticed before that, you know, Hammond's dressed all in white, in contrast with Malcolm, he's dressed all in black, representing these two different viewpoints. You might think sort of optimism versus doubt. 
Um, but this was the first time on this rewatching that I noticed that Hammond is almost always filmed from the bottom up in the first half of the film and then top down in the second. And I think it's like little touches like that that that, that really show the attention to detail that went into Jurassic Park and I think is missing mm. from the sequels and, and soft reboots. Yeah, I think this is a... I mean, as you were saying, Johnny, the kind of... The fact that you can have a four-minute dialogue scene where the dinosaur... In fact, the dinosaurs, I don't even think, really appear until the second half of the film and you are really leaning on the script. I don't think there's a single line of memorable dialogue in Jurassic World. I don't remember any of it. <laughs> Whereas I can quote to you a lot of Jurassic Park, I think. Yeah, and there are only 15 minutes of dinosaur footage in Jurassic Park. Um, so there's nine minutes. Is that of... it, really? Yeah, yeah. And there's, there's nine minutes of Stan Winston animatronics. I know we're all Stan Winston fans here. And there's six minutes of Industrial Light and Magic CGI. I don't know what it is for Jurassic World. Um, I did try and find it, but I can... Uh, I bet it's a hell of a lot more of it. <laughs> 100%. <Yeah. laughs> the, well, was that... Okay, so there's like... a dying, I don't know, it's like a brachiosaurus or something? The one with the long neck? That thing that's dying? That, yeah, I think that, that is an animatronic in Jurassic World, yeah. Okay, alright. Because that looked too good to be CGI. That yeah. was like the first bit I was like, okay, that's happening. Yeah, and actually, that's probably one of the stronger scenes in the film, probably because, again, it's very quiet. It's very much about the emotion of the actors and their interactions with this physical prop that the rest of the film doesn't have that sense of weight or emotion, I think. I would say that the premise of Jurassic World is pretty good. I think if you are going to make a sequel or a soft reboot of Jurassic Park, you basically have one of two options. You can either do something completely different. Mm-hmm. I don't know, make a found footage horror film or make a rom-com with talking dinosaurs or something. I would watch both of those, <laughs> to be fair. Or you can recognise that the appeal of the original Jurassic Park, and at its core, is pretty specific, I think, which is seeing a dinosaur theme park. Or seen a dinosaur theme park go wrong. Well, for me, I, 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 to be honest, for me, it is genuinely the thrill of seeing that theme park. While I obviously understand and would not want a Jurassic Park to be built in real life, exploring the theme park is the thing that I just get so much enjoyment out of. So I would agree when Jurassic World was announced, I remember being very excited because it felt like, as you say, the kind of natural next step. Hmm. Yeah, it acknowledges that the audience as well never really got to see the theme park in full swing in the original film. So it features this fully functioning dinosaur theme park for the first time, which, as you say, on a basic level, that's something people want to see, especially kids. Kids and David really want to see that. <laughs> yeah, basically. <laughs> um, and I think, like, more than that, by acting as a soft reboot, as we're calling it, as, you know, it's not a complete reimagining. So it's not ignoring Jurassic Park from its chronology. It establishes the possibility of building on the themes of the original interesting ways. Mm-hmm. So I think it's interesting that the theme park in Jurassic World has been constructed with full knowledge of the events that have happened in Jurassic Park. And that allows you to potentially explore further the themes of whatever corporate negligence, the relationship between science and capital and so on. The problem is it then goes and shits it up the wall by basically doing <laughs> nothing interesting with any of that. But how could it? That, that's the main problem with this. So... I try to count the number of times that the film tried to sell me Mercedes Benz's or Coca-Cola oh, God, yeah. or Sony phones. And it's like, well, you can't have it both ways. You can't have a character that you're making fun of because he's like languishing in the past. Like he's relying on all these like nostalgic references to Jurassic Park. You can't have this character that criticizes Jurassic World for being too corporate and then try and be too corporate. It, it, it doesn't work. It doesn't make any sense. You know, it's fine. Just be a blockbuster. Just admit what you're doing, but don't try and be clever about it if that makes sense because i think that's the part where it always falters 
So I agree with you, and I think you've answered your own question. So the problem is that it does set up these themes, but then doesn't explore them and in fact contradicts them through things mm. like the really blatant product placement. So let me give an example, right? I quite like the idea of the Indominus Rex, because I think that given the setup of the film and the potential themes that establishes to do with capitalism and, and technology driven by entertainment and so on, I think the Indominus Rex can actually embody a lot of that. And like, I think it sets up some interesting discussion about how the dinosaurs, you know, in the original film were really wondrous and special and, you know, everyone looked at them with awe, but now there's this kind of, all that's been undermined by the constant spectacle and fetishization mm-hmm. of novelty that comes with the consumerism. But the problem again is that it sort of sets that up and doesn't do anything with it. So as other critics have pointed out, the Indominus Rex in a way is a kind of tragic figure. So it's a kind of Frankensteinian monster. It doesn't know what it is. It's just like a big hodgepodge of different animals that seems to be out of place and it's confused. And I think Chris Pratt's character says something to that effect quite early on the film. But then Mm -hmm. within the next two hours, all that they do with the Indominus Rex is have it fight other dinosaurs. And then in the end... When it's like, oh, who would win in a fight? Indominus Rex, a T-Rex, or four Velociraptors. You know, it kind of <laughs> glorifies and like beating the shit out of the Indominus Rex. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, can you imagine Frankenstein? If Frankenstein ended with just like a bunch of people kicking in the monster. <laughs> that's the director's cut. I don't think you've seen that version. It's great. That's the, that's the, the Snyder cut that they're talking about. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I would agree with that because when I was watching it, I thought it's an interesting idea. And in fact, mm. again, it's a, an interesting evolution uh, excuse the pun of the series that they would now you know they would build a dinosaur but i think one of the problems is the film doesn't really set that up very well because firstly you don't really get a good look at the park before we're already talking about the indominus rex and i think for me the fact that the film was telling me that people aren't interested in dinosaurs but then when it actually showed the guests at theme park they all seem to be having quite a good time they're a great time mm. they love the big fish thing you know that scene where the assistant who's supposed to be looking after the kids for Dallas Price House's oh, character God, is, like, that bit. is brutally murdered? Jesus. Oh my God. So I think it's really weird that you have that scene, but then you have also have another scene where the evil soldier guy, right, who wants to breed velociraptors with Dwayne Johnson to make the ultimate super soldier, right, or whatever, right, right. he dies <laughs> off screen. And that just seems to me to be completely arse backwards. That was like, crazy. I agree. I absolutely agree. And by the way, can I just say, Colin Trevorrow, director, he is on record as saying that that death of the, the babysitter assistant character is the most epic Jurassic Park death he could possibly imagine. <sighs> I would say it's the most sexist Jurassic Park death you could possibly imagine. It was just a bit baffling. I didn't know what was going on. It's like, why is this happening? She gets tossed about all over the place. It's like, why is this going on for so long? Why Why is this yeah. poor woman being made to suffer like this? I don't know what's happening. And a lot of effort went into staging that as well. She actually did all mm. her own stunts, Katie McGrath. She dropped down on like a massive rope and everything. So like, and then got submerged underwater, all this kind of stuff. Uh. For a scene that really would have been better to just not have. <laughs> sure, I mean... It's a spectacle. I, when he says epic in that sense, yeah, fair enough. Like that was, there's a lot to it. I don't know. I think epic to me captures the kind of the 12 year old sensibility of it. That's the thing. If anyone's using the word epic in 2020, like they're talking about this, <laughs> this kind of stuff, aren't they? Like, like that was pretty epic win. Let's say it that way. Not for her. <laughs> I think well. this is a slightly different point, but I think a lot of blockbusters from around the era of Jurassic World confuse visual clutter for visual awe. Like, the scene with the 10,000th pterodactyls flying towards you, I think are much less wondrous and awe-inspiring than, say, the 
slow pan up to the brontosaurus in the first mm-hmm. film or the you know the close-up dilation of the t-rex's eye next to the jeep that sort of thing i'll say this this was borderline a period drama compared to something like transformers like <laughs> they could have gone daft they could have been absolutely off the wall crazy nuts bananas you, you know you name it it was a bit much but at the same time, if you've got that kind of budget, if you've got the CG people on there anyway, you're paying them, you know, 50 pence an hour or whatever, you might as well get them to make a couple more dinosaurs, just chuck them in. That wasn't the issue. It's like, the problem is the fact that they use all that technology and then they go like, oh yeah, we're going to, we're going to chuck this poor woman around like she's a pancake on Shrove Tuesday. And then we're just going to like <laughs> feed it this big fish. Like, what, what? Why are you doing this? I, I thought, I didn't understand it from the perspective of like a story thing like yeah i think that's the deeper point there's no thematic reason mm. for that to happen a bit like what johnny said i mean the equivalent of that scene because in jurassic park i don't think you ever see anyone actually get killed on screen apart from the lawyer yeah i may that, be wrong exactly. that, but i think that's right but that's the thing it's the lawyer yeah and it makes sense exactly it makes sense for the lawyer to get tossed around a bit yeah and, and he's he's commi- he's committed a, a cinematic crime in, in scare quotes he's abandoned the children in a sense yeah. he's, he's earned that death he's the opposite of the babysitter he's the opposite because she was like looking around for them desperately yeah, yeah she was she was being really very nice yeah it's funny that you mentioned transformers there daniel i have a note here that says Velociraptor versus Indominus Rex versus T-Rex versus Mosasaurus, all a bit too Michael Bay for me. I wish it was more Michael Bay. God, there's that bit where the raptor gets blown up and I was crazed. <laughs> that actually, that, that was kind of a highlight for me. I was like, okay, this is so daft that it's gone back to being enjoyable again. Like it's kind of embraced itself being a blockbuster again. I was like, okay, great. Blow up the raptor. Go for it. <laughs> Why not? Do it. Like that's fine. It's the part where you kind of, like the whole bit with the raptors being friends and then they're not friends and then they are and then he's like a dinosaur whisperer and like why is this happening why is chris pratt jesus why is he being shot from behind like superman what's going on yeah why why are you doing this i think it was a real mistake to have the sassy typical chris pratt character meets indiana jones nathan drake type action hero in a Jurassic park park film and i think a lot (sighs) of Jurassic park's appeal is having these very believable scientist types thrown into this perilous situation. That was the other thing I was going to mention as well. Jurassic Park, all of the characters, except for the lawyer, were all scientists or technicians. But then you look at something like Jurassic World and all the main characters seem to be business people. Like all of the scientific people either get like relegated or like get pushed aside. And that was, that was to me a weirder decision than anything else. It's like, well, I think like you've kind of missed the point here. Like, like who are you meant to be putting forwards as the heroes, because I mean, the only real hero here was mm. Chris Pratt. I don't even remember the lead woman's name. I honestly can't remember. Yeah, I agree with you. And that's a problem because she yeah. is the main character because she's the one who goes through the arc, but she's not treated with very much respect. No, no, yeah, totally, totally. Yeah, it really bothers me that it never discusses Chris Pratt's character, Owen, is that his name, Owen? Sure. <laughs> It never discusses his complicity in Jurassic World. You know, like, he took this job <laughs> as a dino trainer. Okay, he's he's making money off of this. He's getting to fulfill his desire to be a dino behaviorologist. Okay, and yet he's always moralizing and telling Bryce Dallas Howard's character how unscrupulous she is. Mm. Uh, yeah, that really bothers me. So like, maybe take a good look at yourself before jabbering on for two hours about how corrupt everyone else is. I think... There is some vague mention of it in Fallen Kingdom, to its credit, but it still never really goes anywhere. I mean, Fallen Kingdom is its own other disaster. I'll admit, I never saw Fallen Kingdom. I, I, that was a bit of a bridge too far for me. But 
But you give him a bit of a hug and cuddle, Johnny. You've got to understand. But, like, but that's the other thing. On the one hand, he's like, oh, they're they're animals, they're wild, they're ferocious, they can't be contained. <laughs> and then he treats them like children. He's not like people. There's a scene yeah. where he takes the sea, the, the, the collar carefully off of Blue, the Velociraptor, and they look at each other in, in the eyes lovingly. And then at the end, when, when Blue saves him from the T-Rex, he salutes him before running off into the sunset or whatever. It's so stupid. <laughs> Oh, those raptors, man. Absolute, absolutely nonsense. I don't know what was going on with them. Like, were they meant to be sympathetic? Because they did kill a lot of people. <laughs> like, they did eat them. I don't know if like, one meant to forget, but they did eat a lot of people. Yeah, I think by the end, they were supposed to be. I mean, to its credit, I think it is interesting to have had, you know, this is the fourth Jurassic Park film, and the raptors have basically just been villains in every single one. I think, to its credit, at least there's some you know some attempt to give them a bit more depth as characters i don't think it works but i mean i can appreciate trying to do something different i think i don't think a raptor needs to be like a shakespearean tragic hero i don't think that that's something that we need from a raptor i think you just kind of want them to be an elemental force in nature and that's kind of what makes him terrifying right like you can't really negotiate with them but they can outsmart you like that's that's why it's not a horror film but it's still a horror film in that sense you've got this thing you can't negotiate with this thing you can't reason with that just wants to kill you like, it feels weird that you would undermine that, but anyway. I think it's worth remembering as well that the two films are from very different eras and are both interesting to the extent that they represent those eras quite well. Mm-hmm. You know, we were saying that Jurassic Park was era-defining. It comes out in 93 when you've still got your big summer Hollywood blockbusters that are primarily aimed at a domestic market. So, you know, back in 93, whether you're talking about your action movies like Terminator 2 and... Independence Day or dramas like Forrest Gump and Titanic. And this is an age where dramas and comedies like Forrest Gump, Pretty Woman, Mrs. Doubtfire regularly outperform your big action films. And that's not something you really get anymore, I don't think. Mm -hmm. Um, But anyway, these are all aimed at the domestic market. Jurassic World is from an era where blockbusters are primarily aimed at the international market. They look and feel very different from blockbusters from the 90s as a result. I think if you were to look at your other top-grossing films from the time of Jurassic World, you're talking, what, Transformers, Fast and Furious, all your Marvel films, new Star Wars, flipping Minion films. They're all these big franchise films aimed at the international market. And one thing you get with those films, I think, is a tendency towards certain trends. You're big Hollywood A-stars, you're big explosive action set pieces... Relatively easy to follow plots, um, low bar humor that translates well, nothing that's going to upset international markets in terms of LGBT representation and a lot of product placement. If Jurassic World is anything to go by, so much product placement, bloody hell! Do we want to have some kind of quiz? Let's go for a quiz. I think it's shall time. we? Shall we indulge? Oh yes, shall we? Oh, of course, oh, Ambassador, you're spoiling me with these quiz questions. <laughs> Okay, so before we decide which film comes out on Triceratops, <laughs> let's go to the quiz. Frequent listeners, hello mum, will know that before we declare our glorious remake Rumble champion as something of a breather, we have a quiz where I subject Daniel and David to a gauntlet of fiendish trivia questions relevant to the motion pictures we've been deliberating over today. 
The current score sees David in the lead with four wins and Daniel a close second with absolutely nothing. What a dino donut. (laughs) However, as we've just passed the anniversary of our first ever episode, I thought I'd up the stakes and give Daniel a chance to fight his way back up the food chain. So, for this episode only, all four of David's points are up for grabs. That's right, if Daniel wins, he gets them all. (laughs) I was never consulted about this. No, just kidding, it was my idea. Are you ready? Can I get some Velociraptor buddies or something to help me out? <laughs> okay. It's kind of haranguing while I'm doing this. Here we go. Question one. <clears throat> Who was Steven Spielberg's first preference for the role of Alan Grant? Was it A, Harrison Ford, B, Pierce Brosnan, C, Tom Hanks, or D, Jack Nicholson? Pierce Brosnan's never been first choice for anything and you know it. <laughs> That's true. He was like the fourth Bond. That's true. There you go. Point proven. Uh, Harrison Ford, let's do it. Yeah, that's interesting. Harrison Ford, yeah. I mean, Tom Hanks and Harrison Ford, they're the two Spielberg go-tos, right? So I could see either of them. I guess if Daniel's already said Harrison Ford, I think I'm going to have to go with Tom Hanks. Okay, Tom Tom Hanks. Well, the answer is A, Harrison Ford. Yay! Oh my God. I should never have put my points on the line. This is terrible. Okay. Question two. It's going to go terribly for me. <laughs> Which film can be seen playing in the background of Nedry's computer? Is it A, Godzilla, B, Attack of the 50-Foot Woman, C, Jaws, or D, The Land Before Time? Which Land Before Time? Four. Don't be ridiculous. Seven. I think there are 14 Land Before Time films, for the record. That's too... There's too many Lands Before Time. How much time do you need? I don't think I've seen a single one. I'm aware of it, but I don't think I've seen a single one. Is that a beloved franchise? Have I offended people by saying that? Oh, you know, I'll I'll meet you afterwards, but... (laughs) The obvious must be Godzilla, right? But I mean, which Godzilla? The 50s Godzilla, I assume. (laughs) The the 90s Godzilla, as if... That doesn't exist yet, I don't think. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, yeah. Just like prime butt rock, ludicrous, stepping on people, 90s Godzilla. I had no idea that there was a film playing on his computer because I noticed that he had an Oppenheimer picture, obviously atom bomb creator. I noticed he had a picture of a donut as well. Don't know why you'd have both of those things if you get, you know. I don't know why you would print off an Oppenheimer and a donut. <laughs> <laughs> I just thought, like the idea of Nedry just kind of like staring out a window, just lovingly stroking this donut like a widow waiting for a <laughs> returning sailor. Um, I am going to say that it was Godzilla before David can say it was you know I think it probably is Godzilla but Attack of the 50 Foot Woman maybe that's a little bit less obvious so maybe yeah let's go for it whatever I already got the first one wrong (laughs) the answer is in fact C Jaws you're both wrong a couple idiots that's quite arrogant of Spielberg I take back my positive comments from earlier. <laughs> yeah. Also, fun fact, there's a scene where Nedry is talking to the man by the boat that's leaving that he's supposed to get onto, and they're supposed to be speaking via video link, but you can see the play button and bar at the bottom of the screen, so he's obviously just Yeah, I noticed that. Video. Yeah. Very obviously a quick time play of that's window. Right. Okay, Dave, this one's for you, okay? To get back up to speed. Here we go. Question three. Which of these theme park rides was purposed to be an inspiration for the production of Jurassic Park? Was it A, Disney World's Triceratops Spin, B, Disney World's Beastly Kingdom, C, Universal Studios' King Kong Encounter, or C, Universal Studios' Woody Woodpecker's Nuthouse Coaster? 
It's C. I'm sorry, Your Honour. Objection. It's C. It's C. It's C. I'm not even letting Dan get in. This is illegal. This is highly unorthodox. I promise you, I've had no say in these questions. Whatever. Just the way the the cookie has crumbled. I'm I'd afraid. say tell it to the judge, but clearly he's been bought out by <laughs> Big David. Look, I wasn't thrown out of the Quizmaster's Guild for nothing. Triceratops spin. What was the other one? Beastly Kingdom. Beastly Kingdom. Oh, look, let me just give you both a history lesson. <laughs> Beastly Kingdom has never even been built. That is now Avatar: The World of Pandora, or vice versa. Sorry, my, my arrogant display has been. Ugh, they've been gone an wrong avatar because it's the world of Avatar. Yeah, they've done an Avatar. Why? I know nobody knows. I don't even think Disney know. So like perverts can hook ponytails up together. Why would you do that? <laughs> Ugh, that's really that's grim. the most popular attraction. Oh god. Um, with the Triceratops spin, is it like the teacups or something? What is it? I think that's exactly what it is, David. Because oh, I mean, can I, you I'm, I'm going to pick that because that sounds like a lot of fun. The question wasn't which of the following rides do you think would be most fun. I mean, it's about as good of an answer as you're going to get, so I recommend you take it. All right, the answer is, of course, C, King Kong Encounter. I was giving you a free one there, Daniel, and you still screwed up. Uh, yeah, well, you gave, yeah. No, hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on, because I just want to correct the record here. You gave David a free one, expecting me to pick up the pieces. Well, guess what? <laughs> it's serious, all right? Well, let me let me give you a bit more bit more info. I don't believe that Triceratops Spin existed when Jurassic Park was made because Animal Kingdom I don't think opened until 1999. But the Universal Studios King Kong is really fascinating. I think you'd like it, Dan, because it sadly burned down. But basically, Ooh, like it, it featured a massive animatronic King Kong. That's like, absolutely huge. <laughs> <laughs> I can appreciate good work when I see it. I think you'd like it. Have a look on YouTube. I do Treat like yourself. big monkeys. I've got another fun it's fact for you. breath smelled of bananas. All right, Johnny, what's your this, fun fact? This will interest David. So uh, Jurassic Park cost a mere $63 million to make, whilst Jurassic Park The Ride, which opened in 1996 at Universal Studios, cost $110 million. Almost, $110 million? Almost wow. double the film's budget. The ride um, began development before the release of the film, which explains why the ride features a rafting theme that doesn't show up in the movie. The scene is from the book and was storyboarded but never made it in. David, have you experienced the Jurassic Park, the ride? I have indeed. I've experienced it numerous times. Wait, is it, does this get David a bonus point or something? Is this one of the questions? <laughs> All right, question four. Jurassic World was partially filmed using a 65mm camera that was also used to film which all-time classic movie? Was it A, The Shining, B, 2001 A Space Odyssey, C, The Thing, or D, Howard the Duck? <laughs> I bet you think you're really funny, don't you, Johnny? Like, I bet you like try- sit there, chuckle to yourself, thinking about how you're going <laughs> to try and trick me with all these clever answers. Howard the Duck always gives me a chuckle. It's always funny when animals have human names. <laughs> Beethoven. <laughs> What's it going to be? I think 2001, I'd say. Okay. No, I think it's the thing. I remember there being something about something to do with the way that the thing was shot, and I think it might be it. Maybe. <laughs> it, was, it was shot with a camera, and I think that camera might have accepted some kind of film. Well, the answer is... 2001 A Space Odyssey. Oh, yes. 2-1 to Get you massive arsehole. <laughs> Why would you do this? What's the point of this whole exercise? The camera was uh, was used to film a lot of the big exteriors in Hawaii. Oh, no one cares. No one cares. Okay, question five. Who came up with the idea for the gyrosphere? Was it A, Steven Spielberg? Well, they should B, be fired, whoever it was. <laughs> Let me just say that now. Uh, B. George Lucas C. James Cameron or D. Stanley Kubrick 
Well, George Lucas would call it something like the. Oh, I think it's called like the laser orb. Oh, I think it's <laughs> it's actually designed by the Mancorians. It's got three different wheels. The the laser wheel A designed by a committee. Oh, it's not George <laughs> Lucas. I do like the idea, though, of George Lucas not being involved at all with this film and then just pitching this bizarre <laughs> ride concept. He's just, he's just wandering around in, like, a bathroom, just, like, <laughs> yeah. kind of chucking ideas out. Like, he's on the set of, like, Pretty Woman 3, and he's like, oh, what if you had uh, a big alien with, like, three eyes? Right, look, Dan, you're about to burst a blood vessel. For your own sake, just give me an answer. Just, it's okay, right. So... I'm going to go Spielberg, because I don't know what else he would have done if he hadn't done that. I don't think it's a very Spielberg thing to do, though. Right, you're going with Spielberg. That's, okay, Spielberg. let's go with Spielberg. I like the idea that it's Lucas, um, but James Cameron, that's quite specific. I think James Cameron. I think James Cameron. You're going James Cameron. Oh, God, it's okay. it's going to be James Cameron. Well, I'm delighted to say that the answer is Steven Spielberg. Yay! Oh, damn it! So what's that? I get the special treats. I get the penguin Too bar well. at the end Too of well. this. Okay, so it, it comes down to this then, okay? Bonus question. Who else was considered for the role of Owen, played by Chris Pratt, in Jurassic World? Was it A, Bradley Cooper, B, Tom Hardy, C, Jason Statham, or D, Harrison Ford? God, Jason Statham. Oh, you haven't got my bloody dinosaurs. I love you, you all. I think I, qu- I shouldn't be going on who I, you know, dream casting, but Tom Hardy would be quite an interesting addition. Although I was watching an interview and they said that they didn't cast Chris Pratt because he was a movie star. Because I think at that point he'd only really done Guardians of the Galaxy. In fact, I don't even think Guardians of the Galaxy had come out yet. So I don't think he'd quite got to that status. So maybe, I don't know, maybe some of those other ones, they're too high profile. I don't, know, I don't think Tom Hardy's high profile enough. Because he did that thing where he was the twins. Where are you confusing him for Arnold Schwarzenegger? I think I'm confusing <laughs> him with Arnold Schwarzenegger. I think I'm confusing him with everyone's favourite Arnold. Okay, I'm gonna say I'm gonna say Tom Hardy. I think. Okay. I think you're wrong on this. Mm. I don't think that's right. Daniel, what are you? I'm very. For? I'm terrified. I'll be honest with you. This is this is all my points on the line here. I think Jason Statham, you know, because he actually did have a bit more of a higher profile. He was in the Fast and the Furious films. Just want to make that point. He was present for those. I don't know if he was in it for that period, but he has been in at least one of the Faster or the Furiouses. I mean, I'm just say them. I don't think he's the joke answer. I think he's right. Well, folks, what a twist. The answer is oh, God. C, Jason Statham. I knew it. I knew it. Daniel no. has won the quiz. All these strange jokes about me. You see, like, oh, God, I can't believe he's watching all the stupid films. You know what? I'm in touch with the real people on the ground, <laughs> right? I'm the salt of the earth, all right? All you people in your highfalutin ivory towers, I'm down here in, in the dirt, in the filth, all right? Oh, my God. I'm, I'm in it. Right, you can't see it, but I'm crying right now. <laughs> Good. Uh, other actors considered included Henry Cavill, Josh Brolin, and John Krasinski. Yeah, yeah. The one from the Office. Daniel, now that you've won, you're not allowed to be rude about the quiz anymore. Can I be rude about John Krasinski? I really want to be rude about him. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Well, with that travesty out the way, I think it's time we went to the scorecards. David, could you start us off? Which do you think is the better film, Jurassic Park or Jurassic World? Oh, it's definitely Jurassic Park. I mean, I guess no spoilers there. Um, just the awe that it inspires, the level of craft on display, the fact that it was so game-changing for special effects, not just for the CGI, but top-level animatronics. Amazing acting, amazing music. Just the music is incredible. Um, yeah, Jurassic Park by a mile. Jurassic World is just very stale has some interesting ideas underpinning it but just never really explored in any exciting interesting way and it's kind of a missed opportunity i think daniel 
So, taking the gold medal for the best dinosaur film, as always, The Flintstones starring John Goodman. I mean, I've heard of Sparrow Rib, but this is ridiculous. <laughs> I mean, like, oh, crazy. Um, but if I was going to have to pick between Jurassic Park and Jurassic World, it would, of course, be Jurassic Park. It's a fantastic film. It's gorgeous. It's beautiful. It's an icon. It's a legend. I stand. Uh, what else do people say? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, that's probably going to do it. I think I'm not going to embarrass myself too much. You all know it's a good film. Just watch it. What else are you doing? Come on, guys. He's right. He is right. Don't waste my time. I've been I've been considerate here, all right? Don't waste my time. And what about you, Johnny? Which is your favourite? Um, in the words of Ian Malcolm... Put us out of our misery. <laughs> in the words of Ian Malcolm, Jurassic World is one big pile of shit. Uh, no, it's... it's <laughs> You've um, been waiting to say that <laughs> all this right. time, haven't you? <laughs> um, no, it's it's passable entertainment. Um, I agree the premise is, is decent, but it fails to live up to it. I think it very much represents certain trends in cinema at the time. Um, and I think as much as one film can be objectively better than another, then Jurassic Park is objectively better than Jurassic World. But Jurassic World, I've just looked up, did make 1.67 billion US dollars. So what do we know? <laughs> well, thank you, gentlemen, for your prehistoric patter. And thank you for your attention, dear listeners. Remember to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And if you're feeling especially nice, why not leave us a review? Follow us on Facebook and Twitter to receive the latest Remake Rumble rumours, slanders and updates on Daniel's mission to splice the DNA of a Macam and a Jordy to create an ultimate Thai insider. Goodbye. Two different rivers, you racist. <laughs> <laughs>